Chapter 5. The British Fascist Union A while later, I took my leave at the Chandler's, promising I'd be back in touch soon, and then took the bus back to Paddington Station, where I boarded a train for Oxford. Less than two hours later, I was back at my rooms at Balliol, considering my next move. One thing of which I was certain, my next move wouldn't involve talking to my parents. I needed to find out exactly who they were. As it happened, Tiki was at home when I got back to college. I knew that his mum, Aunt Ruth, hadn't been particularly close to my mother, her sister, and as it happened, his parents lived just 15 minutes away from college. Tiki was planning to visit them the following day, and so I asked if he wouldn't mind if I visited them as well. I had some questions that I felt needed to be answered. The next day, I visited Aunt Ruth and Uncle David, and over lunch asked her why she'd had a falling out with her sister. Aunt Ruth is a smart lady and doesn't suffer fools gladly. As my mother's older sister, she told me the reason she'd fallen out with her was that in 1936, my mother had joined a pro-Nazi group called the British Fascist Union, which was a splinter group from another organization called the Union of Fascists that had been founded in 1932 by Walter Mosby. Apparently, Mum had been radicalized by the Union of Fascists during her time at university and had been lured to the British Fascist Union by John McNabb, one of the leaders of the UOF, whom she had had a mild fling with in 1936. Her political ideology differed diametrically from mine, Aunt Ruth told me. She believed that all decisions should be made by a leader who had absolute power. All political authority and sovereignty should rest with this leader and should be trusted by the people to make important decisions on their behalf and no other political parties could be tolerated. She felt that groups with political influence such as unions or churches should be restricted or abolished. Sadly, we fell out badly because of her fascist beliefs. We'd always been close as kids, and it stayed that way until after the war when she married your father. He was a wonderful influence on her, and shortly before you were born, the four of us went away on summer holiday to Scotland, and Lilibet and I had a chance to talk, and we made up and have been like the sisters that we used to be ever since. The only thing I regret was the wasted years we spent not talking to each other. What Aunt Ruth told me confused me more than ever. What had happened to my mother to change her views? I realized that I had to visit Mum and Dad as soon as possible. I had devised a plan, finally. After I visited Aunt Ruth and Uncle David with Tiki the previous weekend, I spent the next five days attending lectures at university, and then on Friday afternoon, having phoned Mum and Dad earlier in the week, took a train to Isha Station and arrived in time for supper. There were just the three of us. Simon was still at Oxford, and so it gave me a chance to ask them in as natural a way as possible how they had first met. Aunt Ruth had told me that right after VE Day in 1945, they had met at a victory party in London and hit it off in a big way, 
One thing led to another, and they married three months later. I did the math quickly and figured out it was only six months later that I was born. I never said a thing to them, of course, and they glossed over as many details as they could, but they knew. It was vital that I wasn't too inquisitive, as that would have certainly raised suspicions, so I simply sounded interested. It seemed to work. I didn't wish to give the impression that I was prying. Dad was in a particularly jolly mood that evening and filled me in on a few significant details of his return to civilian life after the war. When he returned to London, having been part of the Allied mop-up force, Dad was officially demobbed. He took a month's leave, and during his leave, wrote to his superiors and made a request to change departments from the Ministry of Defence to the National Archives, giving his reasons for his decision as mental exhaustion and the desire to live a quieter life and become an administrator. He asked to be considered for a post in the National Archives, the guardians of over 1,000 years of iconic national documents from the Doomsday Book to the present day and expert advisors in information and records management of cultural, academic and heritage institution. Several weeks later, he received an answer from the National Archives accepting his transfer to begin a new post the following Monday, doing a job very much like the one he'd been doing in Berlin by helping with the transition after the war. Dad began his new job right after he returned to England, and shortly after he met my mum, he'd fallen on his feet. Once I began looking into the whys and wherefores of my dad's life, nothing seemed to make any sense. I had first seen the picture of my dad wearing a Nazi uniform and standing with Hitler at the Berghof in the library when I was a boy still at Harrow, but for whatever reason, maybe because I just couldn't deal with the fact that my dad might have been a fraud or that maybe I was just too young, I'd left all of my unanswered questions in a pile on my bedroom floor and covered them up with dirty clothes for ages. But... Since I had been at Oxford, I found a second wind, and once I discovered that my grandparents were still alive, I had to find out the truth. I owed that to my dear brother Simon. Saturday morning came, and Mum and I were sitting around the kitchen table having breakfast while Dad had gone shopping. I decided to take the bull by the horns and asked her if she and Aunt Ruth had been close siblings. Why do you ask, she answered. 
Oh, I don't know, I said. Tiki told me that years ago you weren't speaking to each other, I blustered. I suppose we might have had an argument or something. I really can't remember now. It was so long ago, she said. And with that one sentence, she shut me down. And so I realized I'd have to dig a lot deeper if I would find out the truth. We finished breakfast and went back to talking about nothing important. So I made a snap decision to steal something with both of their fingerprints on. Later that morning, Mum bought Dad a gin and tonic, and as we sat in the drawing room of their lovely suburban house, reaching for that drink on the side table next to his chair, he accidentally knocked it over, and it fell on the carpet, smashing into a million shards of glass. In his haste, he leaned down and tried to pick up some of the broken glass, and then cut himself on his thumb. I waited until they both got up to have lunch on the patio, and went over to Dad's side table and carefully stole the now-empty replacement glass and walked upstairs to my bedroom and wrapped it in newspaper and concealed it in my overnight bag. I then went downstairs and rooted through the trash and successfully retrieved the large shard of glass that Dad had cut himself on and went upstairs to my bedroom and added it, the blood-stained shard, to my collection. I then went and joined Mum and Dad on the patio for lunch. That evening, I took the train home to Oxford with a master plan in my mind, the glass with my father's fingerprints on and his blood for analysis in my bag. I knew what had to be done. (laughs) 